chapter 3. These days we've been talking to you about the Acts of the Apostles. It's interesting, as you read the book of Acts, uh, it doesn't end like some of the other books of the Bible end. It just like stops. It seems like somebody cut the end off. Because so many of the other books of the Bible, they go into this long ending, you know, say hello to this person, that person, this person, and my friend, and the church that meets in their house. Uh, the Acts of the Apostles just end so abruptly. And uh, somebody has suggested that the reason why it is ended like that is because it's still being written today. Uh, it's uh, still going on, the Acts of the Apostles. Uh, I'd like to speak to you today about the results of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to begin reading in chapter 3 of Acts. Now, when Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Uh, Pentecost is over now, and these people have to go back to the normal routine of life. You know, uh, it's great to have high, ex high spiritual times. It really is. Last week, uh, the ladies of our church were away on their retreat, and I... I've heard they had a terrific time. It was really a high time. It was uh, something special to them. But uh, then they came back, and they had to face the same problems they left behind. And they had to get back into the tough groove of making a living and uh, keeping peace in the home, etc., here we find uh, that same situation to a different degree. Peter and John are back from Pentecost, but life goes on. They went to the temple to pray at the hour of prayer. In my Bible, I have Psalm 55:17 there in the margin. And what that means is this, is that the ancient Jews stopped their life three times a day to pray to God. I... Psalm 55, 17 says this, Evening, morning, and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and the Lord will hear my voice. So in the evening, wherever they were, they tried to stop and they prayed to the Lord. In the morning, wherever they are, they would pray to the Lord, and uh, in the middle of the day. And so here, the, here they come, and they're just reporting for prayer. Uh, they're close enough to the temple to go to the temple to do this, and in verse 2 it says, A certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple. Here is this man who is crippled from birth. And uh, his only means of income is the benevolence of somebody passing by. A number of people in our church have been to foreign countries, third world countries. And uh, we're kind of in shock because because uh, when you go to those countries, there are so many beggars. There are so many people who are infirm and broken in body because they have no good medical care like we do in America. Uh, and oftentimes they're injured at birth and, and uh, they have no form of income. And so the only hope they can have is the grace that somebody will extend to them and that's, here's this man. Uh, in the next chapter, chapter 4, verse 22, said he was over 40 years of age. So here's a man over 40, 
they put him right here, the entrance of the temple, to beg for food. Verse 3, And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. Uh, Sir, would you give me something? I need something. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. I'm sure that when he said that, there was a lot of anticipation. Uh, so he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. I'm sure that many times in those lands, people become blind to the poor because there are so many of them, so many people begging. And so this man was excited that somebody would notice him. And Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I rise up and walk. Now, wasn't this a surprise? He was just hoping for a few coins that he could go out and buy a piece of bread, maybe. And uh, Peter said, listen, we don't have any money. Look, turned his pockets inside out. But we do have something. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I want you to get up and walk. I'm sure that man thought, man, what am I hearing? I've never heard this before. And he reached down and took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking and leaping and praising God. The happiest day of this guy's life. He couldn't believe that this had happened to him. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. I heard one time of a minister that went to a church and they were counting this magnanimous offering uh, after the service. And the minister said to the pastor of the church, he said, well, I guess you can't say that, uh, you can't let it be said of the church, silver and gold have none anymore. And uh, he said, I guess also you can't say rise up and walk either. They had no money, but they had something more important than money. They had the power of God. And so this man uh, was uh, up and it caused a furor. It really did. Verse 11 says, The people were greatly amazed and they began to do what we often do when somebody seems to have special skill in the ministry. We kind of raise people up on some sort of a little platform and we kind of look to them and we forget about looking to the Lord. And so they were all ready to set Peter up as some uh, super Christian. But Peter put them down and he deflected the glory real quick. And he said, listen, this was not by our power or any of our godliness, but this was through the name of Jesus. You remember him? The person that you crucified on a cross. Look at verse 15. And killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. I went through chapter 3 and chapter 4, and I put a little R beside each verse that refers to the resurrection. Because that was the commission of the disciples by Jesus. He said, when you go forth as a disciple of mine, I want you to be a witness of my resurrection. And so they went out, and that was, the, that was their theme. They kept telling people, listen, Jesus is alive. We saw him. He's alive. He walked on earth for 40 days. And so he refers to the resurrection, and look at verse 16. 
And his name through faith in his name has made this man strong. It was through this living Christ that this man was healed. Well, this didn't go over very good. And in verse number 26, he brings up the resurrection again. Look what it says. And to you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. It's interesting, he started to talk to them about their need. And that is the need of humankind, isn't it? Their iniquities, their sin. You know, uh, it's interesting that people come to church on Easter and we celebrate the resurrection. But we forget sometimes that the resurrection is all about the sin of the human race. It's all about our personal sin in our life. And so... What he does right here, he connects the resurrection with personal sin. And any time you get on that subject, it's a little shaky. And verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain, the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed. And I told you before that uh, the Sadducees were people that were, that were greatly against the teaching of the resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. They had no hope of resurrection. And it's interesting, as when you see them in the Bible, uh, they're always against the resurrection. Uh, Jesus preached the resurrection from the dead in verse number 2. And then he was called before the high priest. And, and this is kind of interesting, because remember, this just happened not too many days earlier with a bad result. When you get called before the authorities, the high priest. Usually bad things happen. Look at verse 6. As well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Can you imagine? Here's Peter and John. And all of these high priest, the family of them. And they said, listen, we just want to know who gives you the authority to heal or to extend the healing of the Lord to this person. Look at verse number 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, I'm here today to talk to you about the results of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I've looked up every instance of the filling of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. And there is a common denominator to this topic. And it is given to us right here in verse number 8. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke. The filling of the Holy Spirit is to empower the church to speak. That's primarily the meaning of the filling of the Holy Spirit. Now, I love what St. Francis of Assisi said a long time ago, and I, I often wish that those people who lived a long time ago wouldn't have created all the good quotes. We have none left today. You know, we have to quote them. All the good sayings are gone. They've already been taken out. But he made this quote many years ago. He said, preach the gospel at all times and sometimes use words. Well, you know, that's a great quote, and I, uh, I really like it. But when Jesus sent his disciples out into the world, he sent them out to use words. 
Because remember what Acts 1.8 said? It said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. A witness is somebody who tells what he knows by experience. And so the Lord was going to send his disciples out to do just that. Now, for those of you who were not here last week, I, I want to, like, go in reverse just for a few minutes this morning. And I want to talk to you now, if you'll look on your sermon notes, about things that happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, I just said to you that I'm here today to talk to you about the filling of the Holy Spirit, but something else happened on the day of Pentecost. We know that did, because it says through 2 verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. But there was something else also that happened, and that we call the baptism of the Holy Spirit, or receiving the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down to the church to indwell the people of the church. Now, as I mentioned to you before, the Holy Spirit had been around for a long time. But now the Holy Spirit was coming down to get up close and personal with everybody in the church, everyone who's a believer in God. And John the Baptist, and if you're taking notes this morning, John the Baptist said this in Matthew 3.12. He said, I'm the baptizer in water, but there's one coming after me who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So John said, listen, I baptize people in water, but the Lord is coming. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Well, that's what happened in Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came down, the fire, remember, tongues of fire. Uh, John the Baptist prophesied that, and so did Jesus. In Acts 1.5, you're right there, you're looking at it. John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So John said, get ready for the baptism of the Spirit. Jesus said, in just a few days, you're going to be baptized in the Spirit. Now, I know that there are all sorts of teachings about what this is, but uh, it's really rather simple if you read and compare other passages with that. We can use this term, the baptism of the Spirit, or simply receive the Spirit. When a person believes in Jesus Christ, they receive the Spirit. Now, let me give you a few verses on the word received. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. You know, when we invite Jesus into our heart, guess what? Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to live in our heart. We receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, there's another passage in Acts chapter 10, verse 47, that says this. Peter was preaching uh, and bringing in the harvest. And he said, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And so when Peter was talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he used the word receive. So that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came. The people received the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit moved into their heart, so to speak. They received the Holy Spirit. Um, but the Scripture says in verse 4 of Acts chapter 2, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Now, I propose that two things happened on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit came into their life, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you follow the teaching in the book of Acts about the word filled, it was when people were filled with the Holy Spirit that the work of Christ moved forward. Without the filling of the Spirit, without the control of the Spirit, the work of Christ does not go forward. Because the work of Christ can't go forward. Because the world, the flesh, and the devil gangs up on you, and if you try to take on that array of power against you, you can't do it. But when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you can apply 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Let's say it together. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Now, you can claim that verse personally when you're filled with the Spirit of the Lord. Now, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is like the golden text. I, 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 every now and then I use that word and people look at me with a blank stare. The golden text. How many people in our church this morning remember that term being used years ago in the church? Does anybody here remember that term? In the first service, there was three. In this service, you're not educated. There's nobody. It's just me. Now, that simply means that I'm older than you. That's all. Don't feel bad. Years ago... Uh, Religious periodicals and preachers used to use the word golden text. And that simply meant that that was like the key verse. You know, the key verse that built uh, and through that other, the doctrine was developed. This is a key verse of the baptism of the Spirit. Remember it. Write it down in the margin of your Bible somewhere so when somebody brings the subject up, you can go to it. Let's read it together off the screen. For by one Spirit... We were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. Now, the scripture here talks about one spirit, and it has a capital S, and that means the Holy Spirit. And so here we're talking about something the Holy Spirit's going to do. The Holy Spirit is going to baptize all of the Corinthians into one body. Now, I know that many of you have read the book of First and Second Corinthians. That church was not a model church. It was filled with all sorts of problems and all sorts of worldliness. Um, it wasn't a, a model church at all. But Paul said all of them had been baptized, incorporated into one body, and that body is the body of Christ. And so that's what happens when a person accepts Jesus as their Savior. The Holy Spirit takes you and places you, baptizes you, incorporates you into the body of Christ. He connects you. You can use any one of those terms you want. He connects you into the body of Christ and you become a member of the body of Christ. Now, Christ is the head of the church. Can I have an amen? He's the head. He's supposed to be the thinker behind it all. And we are his members. That means he tells us what to do. Here, uh, John, go over here and put your hands on this and work. Okay, Lord, I'm your hands. 
Uh, he tells us where to go. Lord, I'm your feet. Uh, he tells us uh, where to fit in in the church. Uh, we are his members. And so they all were baptized into one body, whether they were Jews or Greeks. Nationality had nothing to do with this. Whether slaves, slave, slavery was prominent back then, or free, social status didn't have anything to do with this. They've been all made to drink in the one spirit. That means they've all received the Holy Spirit. And so, on the day of Pentecost, they all received the Holy Spirit. Automatically, they didn't beg to receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't plead to receive the Holy Spirit. They believed, believed to receive the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 9 says this, He who has not the Spirit does not belong to God. And so when a person is born again, we believe it's an instantaneous act of faith. When you believe in Jesus, bam, just like that. The Holy Spirit moves into your heart and you become a child of God. And so that's what this is talking about right here. That whole church, whether they were spiritual or unspiritual at this time, had all been placed into the body of Christ. Now, the thing that made the, the church at Pentecost powerful is that the church, in addition to that, was all filled with the Holy Spirit or controlled. Let's we'll look at that, the word controlled. I guess we won't look at that. They were filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's what happened at Pentecost. Whenever you think of the filling of the Holy Spirit, use the word controlled. Uh, and this is where the power comes from in our Christian life. When we empty ourselves and submit ourselves to the Spirit and He controls us and we move under His influence, we give Him the leadership and lordship of our life. Now, the church on the day of Pentecost, they were, or in Acts chapter 2, verse 4, they were all filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit and they began to do what? Speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Uh, in the Bible, when a person is filled, it gives them courage to speak because the gospel is spread verbally by mouth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. Being a witness is a verbal witness of the Lord. And so, uh, here they spoke. In verse number 11, we find out what they spoke. They spoke the wonderful works of God in the languages of the people that had come together in Jerusalem. And the church has been doing that ever since. Uh, today, as we speak here all around the world, the gospel is being preached in the native language of people, and people are talking in those native languages about the wonderful works of God. The church was filled and began to speak. When the church is filled, it will begin to speak. Now, I know that you're sitting there and you're saying, you know, I don't have a lot of courage to speak out for the Lord. And I won't ask you to raise your hand because sometimes I have to raise my hand too. I don't have a lot of courage to speak out for the Lord. Because the same thing that goes through my mind is goes through your mind. You know, I'll be rejected. They'll think I'm crazy. Uh, they'll think I'm a nut now. I've branded myself. I'm a Christian. Uh, I, I, sh I can't do that. I don't have the courage. I'm afraid. Well, whenever these people were filled with the Holy Spirit, it overcame their fear. 
and gave them boldness. And they began to speak out for the Lord and share His Word. And the important thing about the church is the fact that the church is supposed to be a distributor of the Word of the Lord. You know, if we just come into church here and we, we say, boy, this is really wonderful, raw, 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 the pastor preached, the choir sang, uh, we all had a good Sunday school class, we all, and then we go out throughout the week with lockjaw and we don't speak the word of the Lord. Uh, we're not accomplishing what God wants us to accomplish. Uh, I remember years ago when we used to take a trip to Haiti all the time on a mission trip, we used to use interpreters and more commonly called interrupters. And uh, it's amazing. They speak Creole down in Haiti. And uh, we ha always had great interpreters. And they would like run as fast as you would run. You know, like in English. And they're taking your English and translating it into Creole. And I often thought, well, how can they do this this fast? And then I thought, well, maybe they're not preaching the same sermon that I'm preaching. Maybe they're preaching their own sermon. And we don't know. I don't know. But they took the message that we were giving them and they gave it in the language of the people. Uh, and so when the Holy Spirit comes upon somebody, uh, that's the main primary, primary purpose is that that message of Christ will go out in the language of the people and uh, the wonderful works of God will be talked about. Uh, and we just read in Acts chapter 4 about Peter. Uh, Peter was on the hot seat. He was before the high priest. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he began to speak. And uh, look what he said down there in verse number 12. Nor is, and we're in chapter 4. Nor is there any salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Can you imagine? He's right before all the high priests and he's saying, listen, fellas, through the name of Jesus is the only way that you could be saved. That is not a good comment tonight. But he had the boldness to make it because he was empowered by the Lord. Well, they were struggling with him and they were threatening him. Listen, you can't say this in our town. And a little bit later in that chapter, he said, now listen, who are we going to listen to? You or the Lord? Well, that's kind of like a no-brainer, isn't it? He said, are we going to listen to the high priest or are we going to listen to God Almighty? And so they went back to the church. Look at verse 23, Acts chapter 4. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth. And they began to pray to God. And they prayed that God would speak through them the Word of God. That's the thing that was on their mind. How can I be an effective witness for the Lord? And in verse 31, the Scripture says, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And look what happened. And they spoke the Word of God with what? Boldness. They were all filled again. And so here we find in all these references... They were filled, controlled by the Spirit of God to speak. And you're sitting here today and you're saying, listen, I can't speak to anyone. I am afraid I... We all are from time to time. 
The only thing that can overcome our fear is the control of the Holy Spirit. He can place us, so to speak, in the zone. And if you've been a Christian very long, probably you've been in the zone. That means when God takes over and does His thing through you, and you're like somehow, miraculously, talking about Jesus, and it came so naturally and spontaneously, and you didn't like orchestrate it, it just happened to happen, because you were controlled by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's job is to say His Word through your mouth. Paul later was filled with the Holy Spirit as well, and he spoke. We're going to end it on this verse, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. You ever see the sermon go so fast? Wow, just say, we skipped all this stuff, all right? Let's read this. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, let the Holy Spirit fill and control you. Greater words were never spoken. What Paul is saying here to the Ephesians is, don't be under the influence of alcohol. Be under the influence of God. If you're under the wrong influence, it will lead you where? The wrong direction, right? If you're under the right influence, it'll lead you in the right direction. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and let Him control you. And so what does this mean? Uh, this means that tomorrow and every day thereafter in the morning when you try to spend a few minutes to be with God, that you say to the Lord, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit today. Control me. Because, you know, when you rush out the door and you have your agenda and God's not in it, you usually can't be filled with the Holy Spirit. But when you're submissive to Him and say, Lord, I'm going to put you right at the top here and uh, I want you to control me today and I want you to control all this stuff below here, I yield to you. He will move through you because that's what He wants to do. That's why He saves you. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, I wonder today as we wait upon the Lord, I know that there are many in our church you have received the Holy Spirit when you believe in Christ. But uh, you struggle, and I do too from time to time, with allowing the Lord to control us with being yielded to the Spirit. And as a result, I'm afraid. I, I have lockjaw sometimes. And uh, I know that I should speak up. I should say something. This is a golden opportunity, but I don't have the power to do it. Uh, I'd like to invite you uh, to consider these thoughts this morning and uh, begin a little ritual in your life that beginning tomorrow you'll wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm here now to be controlled by you, uh, to be used by you. I'm emptying myself of my agenda, and I want your agenda to be first place. Dear Lord, we thank you for this great day which you have given to us today, and I pray now that you will move among us. As we, uh, as we sing to your name, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing, and if you'd